over here the book of Romans. I made these really awesome, cool notes. I mean, ah, my mind was just flooded with clarity and I wrote all this stuff down and my printer was out of ink, so I didn't make it. I wasn't going to give them to y'all anyway yet, but I just thought for once, Jim, I thought, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so, but what what I've been praying about and, and didn't I make that go? Yeah. Uh, the book of Romans is so intense and there is just there is the essence of life itself in every concept in every statement and, and I get in the book of Romans and I feel like Jeremiah said, and he said, your words came to me and I did eat them. And they were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. And I, and I get so sucked into that and I just want everybody to get that. And I've been digging and scratching in this run sisters for 30 years. And, and every time I do, it just gets bigger. And I don't want that. I don't want that because my, my, my endeavor before God is not to share with y'all everything I know or that I think I know. Or to have all these cool lessons that will appear in line on order. They're so out of order right now, the last three or four of them, but whatever. My endeavor is to get to you the simple, simple aspects of the message of Romans to get it to you in terms you can understand. And so I beg your pardon and forgiveness for times when I've tried to say too much too quickly. But I want to show you something in, in hopes that this will help pull some things together. Because Paul very clearly has said the gospel, man, that's it. That's God's power to save. Right? To save. That means get rid of sin. That means defeat sin in every single solitary regard. That means to bring freedom. He would say in chapter 6, well, we'll go there in a minute. Everything he's got to say in these first eight chapters is concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. You think somebody has to understand every aspect of Romans 1 through 8 before they can be immersed in the name of Jesus to belong to him? All they got to be con- come convinced of is Jesus Christ, Son of God. He's got the power to keep his promises. God raised him from the dead. He is to the Son of God. And they can be immersed 
into the possession of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if they in their if if they are disciples of that pure simple thought, now that's I'm not talking about intellectually attaining the data. I'm talking about they got to have their full weight down on the implications of that, and that is God has power to raise the dead. So, may get too sidetracked on that, but this message is it. And so I want to show you what he what he's done here in one from one eighteen. That's right after the gospel. That's one sixteen and seventeen. Remember, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith unto faith. But one eighteen to three twenty here. Now we've looked at this again and again and again. And sin is alive and doing well. And and the people that he had here from 118 to 32, they knew God. For although they knew God, how did they know him? Through the creation. You ever read Psalm of Cutting? Two sections there that are declaring God. One thing that declares God specifically is his word. The other thing overarching that declares God to all of mankind is, guess what? Creation itself. And the heavens declare the glory of God, and there is not a language on earth they do not speak and speak clearly. And he said right here, these folks had that. They had, they didn't create all this. This came from someone. He's got something going on. And the wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth that's given them in creation by their wickedness. And so this, this knowledge, this information about God There's no freedom. Information about God, that he is eternally powerful and divine in nature. Since what may be known about God is plain to them for since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And you can know that about God. There is a higher power. There, okay, you know what good that does you? About zero. Because it's not this. I'm pointing to the gospel. Creation doesn't speak to you the gospel message, does it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And then it's not just that information, but God put within man this sense of justice, of right and wrong. And people can sort that out and they can articulate that and they can understand the benefit of morals and justice and all this. And that at 2.15, he put eternity in the hearts of man. He, he put this knowledge, this appreciation for morality God, that's a God-given deal, just like creation's a God-given deal. You know what this does in regard to sin? 
There's no freedom from sin. Create your own moral system from what you see around you and what you know within you. There's no newness of life in any of that. Well, if we just had some specific information about God, if we just had... No. Evidently, that doesn't work because how how much more information did Israel need? They had the law of Moses, right and wrong. That's articulated to a point they don't even have time for all of it. It's it's he gives them specific worship. He gives them access that nobody ever had. And sin still has its day. You'd think creation would bring you to God. Creation does not bring you to God. You would think your sense of morals, your morality could bring you to God. It does not bring you to God. That's 2.17, really all the way to 3.20. Well, you would think if he gave you the ancestry and the patriarchs and the very oracles of God written down, you would think if he gave you explicit instructions about holiness and uncleanness, if you think he would give you a system of sacrifice and worship and, and devotion and he would bless you physically, emotionally, You'd think, well, that'd bring you to God. Mm-mm. It didn't. It didn't. You know why? You know why the law of Moses? I mean, there's, there's this sense in which it brought them to belong to God. But, brothers and sisters, it's not the gospel. It didn't bring to them God's righteousness. And for the most part, the real point is, there wasn't anything wrong with the covenant or the law he gave them. They will get into this, and it might take us a month, but if you look over in Romans 9, look over at Romans 9. Catch the last couple of verses, and then we'll catch 10-3. What's the real problem? Well, number one, the law of Moses is not the gospel. What then should we say? The Gentiles who pursued a law of righteousness, have they obtained it? Who who did not have a law of righteousness, have they obtained it? Mm-hmm. Where'd they get righteousness? Where'd the Gentiles get righteousness, by the way? Where'd anybody get righteousness? gospel message but the Jews who had a law of righteousness they did not attain it why what they do this the law of Moses by the way did not extend to them God's righteousness now, God afforded them righteousness should they have pursued the law by faith. Well, he'd been doing that for millennia before he ever gave the law. You trust me and you go where I lead you, I'll count you as righteous. 
David's a prime example of that. Was he perfect? No. He lived under the law. Is the law the gospel? No. Did God credit him with righteousness and not count his sin against him? Yes, he did. And Paul makes sure everybody knows that, chapter 4. But chapter 9, what did they do? What, what was it they did with the law? Verse 32. They did not pursue it as if it were by faith, but what? As if it was them. Is there anything wrong with doing the law? There's a whole lot of work to do under the law of Moses. Is there anything wrong doing that law? Priests were soaked in sweat and blood. I'm sure they stunk to high heaven. They're working hard and fast as they can. Is there all kinds of work to do? Uh, is God against work? No. Is he against self-righteousness? Yeah. Why? It doesn't exist. Look over to 10.3. Read that out loud, just anybody. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Oh. They were running around. They were running around with all this privilege and all this blessing and the very oracles of God. But they weren't letting it bring them to God. That's a little bit of a warning. And so in all this, I didn't mean to spend that much time, but here you've got the doctrine of condemnation. Remember? And then I told you right on the heels of that from 321 through 521, you've got the doctrine of justification. This is the doctrine that, in spite of all the advantage that God had given people, creation, sense of morals, even the law of Moses, sin still had its day. And then he changes subjects and he says, here is what the gospel has brought us. It's it's justification. That's a defeat of sin. In regard to what? The personal account of the sinner. Like David said. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never, ever, ever count against him. That's the state of justification. Abraham had sin. God did not reckon it to his account. What did he reckon? What did he impute? What did he credit to Abraham's account? That's what you call justification. And now we're talking about from 6.1 to 8.39, we're talking about the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification, living a sanctified, holy life. Living, living a life that belongs to God, living a life that reflects God.
the gospel points out the futility of everything else to bring people to God. It, it points out the condemnation that's due men as long as they're coming to God on their own. All alone, I don't care how much you study creation. All alone, I don't care how much you refine your sense of morality. All alone, I don't care what you do with the law of Moses, how good you are at it. And it's not just the law of Moses. It'd just be legal systems. It'd just be law in general. When all you've got is yourself alone in any of those, here's where you stand. But what is it from square one that the gospel is offering to anybody who will believe it? What is the gospel offering to anyone, to everyone who will believe it? Salvation from this, which, which is a result in what? This. And this, it's not enough just for you not to go to hell. The gospel results in this. Sanctification. The, the gospel results in a life lived that's different. Chapter 6, verse about 4. Don't you know all of us who are baptized in Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Verse 4, I think it is, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. Is that is that the essence of the gospel right here? Mm-hmm. We too may what? Live a new life. A life very much unlike 118 to 320. This is what the gospel affords us. It affords us to live a life that belongs to God. It affords us to live a life that's free from condemnation. It's free from sin. It's free from frustration. It's free from obligation to sin and self and desires. What does the knowledge of the universe do in regard to your selfish desires? Nada. Oh, I can look at the creation and get angry enough to rid myself of the desires of the flesh. Really? Mm -mm. What does your sense of morality do to eliminate, to defeat, to leave you, to give you victory over? Your sinful desires of your flesh. Get microscopic if you want to with your morality and your knowledge of it. The new thing. What will law and your performance under it, even if you want to use the principle, what would what would religious privilege and the divine oracles of God, God's absolute commandments about morality, what will that do to eliminate, to defeat, or to give you victory over 
the desires of your flesh. Nothing. See, we just don't think about that right off the bat. Well, I'm telling you, this is it. And so as we were reading last Sunday and a Wednesday night or something ago, look over there, go over there to Romans. So he says in Romans 6, we, we, in our baptism, we died to sin, we died to our sinful desires, we died to our sinful man, we died to our sinful flesh. I don't care how you want to translate it, you got to get a hold of the idea. The point is not found in, in, you got to get a hold of the idea. And so if anyone's died to sin, he's free from it, 6-7. Right? Is is Christ died to sin once for all? Life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that's the truth that the gospel has brought you to. That's the truth that the gospel performed in your life. That's the truth that you entrusted yourself to when you entrusted yourself 6, 17, and 18, into the gospel. And then he said, I'm going to put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, about 6, 19 or so, right? Somebody read for me there a few verses. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. So he's going to give us an example of what he's doing. Go ahead. See, does that sound like a new life? The first part of that, in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, that sounded like 118 to 320. Because it is. But now the Gospels afforded me a newness of life that's actually, actually a relationship of control. It, it's, I know he uses the idea of slavery... But it's not forced. It's compelling. But it's not forced. God doesn't force us to be a slave. If you read 6, don't you know you're slaves to whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, or which leads to death, or slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. But he's putting this, okay, this newness of life. Yeah, but you know what? When you came out of the waters of baptism, when you're when you're reading this and you're getting all this and up to chapter six and we're like, yes, yes, yes. We're just punching the air. This is so awesome. And then we find ourselves in a spiritual conflict that's the desires of our flesh. Did anybody in here cease to have desires of the flesh after you were immersed into Christ Jesus? Just interested. You still you still have this struggle within you to do selfish stuff? To see other people as as prey instead of opportunity to serve and sacrifice and you know? Well, what do we do with that? I want to ask you a question. 
And, and all of this is not just for y'all. This is for every person you're going to bump into from now till somebody throws dirt on top of you. Because the world doesn't understand this, brothers and sisters. They are severely misinformed. I'm convinced there's not all that many people in, in the church that understand this to a point they can articulate it on a practical level. But we know the desires of our flesh, and in some sense, if you'll allow me, they're alive and doing well. Heard old-time preachers say, well, the old Adam, he sure is a good swimmer. To get the idea, as an Adam, we die. So, yeah, but we're getting rid of our old Adam when we died. And then his point is, you come out of the water and the struggle's still there. Paul said, no, there's no struggle. That's not what he said. In Romans 7, 14 to 24, is not the Apostle Paul having a bad day. Oh, I'm so glad he can understand. That's not it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living a holy life to God. He's talking about the gospel has already produced in you salvation. The gospel has already brought to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that does not keep you from being a human being with a fleshly body that still has desires. Right? And it's not a, it's okay if we struggle then. That's not the point. There's a struggle going on. Remember, we've read it. Do we need to read it again? 1424, you got that? I can't do what I want to do. I hate what I do. God's right. I'm wrong. I'd like to do what I can't do. I can't do anything. I'm terrible. There, It's just horrible. But what does he say? What does he say there? G- give me 25, 24, 25. Give me both of those, somebody. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I used to spend all this time arguing with people about, you know, is this the Apostle Paul when he's a Pharisee because he says I am? And, okay, well, you're going to have to let him use the dramatic narrative or historical present tense of a verb. Mean, say, I am, but he's not saying, here I am, this is my life, I'm stuck here. Do we still have desires of the flesh? Can they still lead us astray? Mm Mm-hmm. Has God left us alone there? See, my question, I interrupted myself because I forgot all those cool notes I made, Chuck. But uh, your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a question. Has God left you alone? I tell you what, boy, I told you right and wrong. I told you I'm God Almighty and you're not. You need my help and I gave it. I told you Jesus died. Now let's just see what you can do about it. Has God left you alone? Has he left you in Romans 7, 14 to 24, and there's no help and you were smack dab smooth out, which is what wretched is. I got cramps in both legs and I'm on my face. I ain't running no more. I, 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 was, I can't. I'm exhausted. Does the gospel just leave you exhausted? Yeah. 
Do we get frustrated with ourselves because we still face ourselves? This is why I preach the gospel nonstop, because the gospel, the gospel does not. Now, think about this. You already know this. Whatever the Hebrew writer says, is it right or wrong? No, it's right all the time. I'm not scared of what man can do to me. The Lord has said to me, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If God leaves you, you're all alone. There's too many Christians. Of course, the world in their mind is alone. And even the people that will tell you, I've got God on what basis? How did you get God? Well, it's milk and cow lightning struck the bucket and I didn't die. So it's all good. That's not a covenant relationship with God on God's terms. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not a sanctified new life. That's, that's a physical circumstance that's had an emotional impact on you. And as soon as you quit getting scared enough or happy enough or whatever else it was enough, you're, there, there's no defeat of sin in that. Because it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the only message God's ever given that defeats sin in its tracks, in its purpose. Even in its practice, on some level, I am not alone. I can still have, on any given Tuesday or Thursday, I can still have that struggle from 714 to 24, but I'm not living there. I'm sorry I got to fiddling with the heater and drove off in the ditch, but my journey's not in the ditch. And every time I get in the ditch, have I got something to pull me out of that? What pulled me out of the ditch to start with? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what pulls me out of the ditch every day when I get there? The gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel didn't just rid me of sin. It did. The gospel, 5-5, brought who to abide in my heart? The Spirit. And now, I don't have a flesh walk. I don't have a flesh journey. I got a spirit walk and a spirit journey. Does that sound like newness of life? Somebody make a note for me to do etymological research on the newness. You know any, well, never mind. There's lots of Greek words for newness, and I just, I keep remembering, forgetting to do that. And there's several, sometimes new is, well, I quit talking about it, but I just bet you it's one of those emphatic things. You get newness of life, do you get that? How many people do you know that get immersed into Christ Jesus and then they come out of the water and 30 seconds or 30 days or three years or two weeks or however long it takes. And you know from talking to them. Their mindset's the same it was before they were immersed into his blood. 
I'm not talking about they made a bunch of bad decisions and they, yeah, maybe they did that too. But I'm talking about they're still walking through life with the weight of condemnation and guilt. And they just think that they're just stuck in this struggle. And if they loved God enough, they would have straightened it up. You don't love God enough to make a spiritual sandwich, much less straighten yourself up. It's the love God has for us that we know and we believe in, that we trust in. I like mine says we rely on, 1 John 4. It's the gospel that we rely on, not us. And if the gospel leaves us with us, what we understand is the gospel ain't because that ain't the gospel, brothers and sisters. I read the book. I've been reading the book, and this is all. This is. I'm just gathering this. If I'm wrong, point it out. But I'm going to hold your feet to the fire, and whatever you do with Romans seven, it better make sense. If we're going to argue about it. And you ought to demand the same of yourself at three o'clock in the morning. Because when yes, sir. Okay, read that. Twenty-five. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the simple nature a slave to the law of sin. So that contrast and that tension that he talks about, I don't do the things I want to do, I do the things I don't want to do, is always going to be there. But it's our mind and our will to follow God we're a slave to what he wants, and that's how we remain in him, even though the sinful nature is going to do the things that are against him. And if you want to go back to being all by yourself, you can. And when you do, you'll quit. It's just a matter of time. You'll quit. How many of us like to tirelessly, relentlessly, ceaselessly do what absolutely does no good whatsoever. Offers no benefit, no blessing, and no hope. How many of y'all, let's just be real practical, how many of y'all love to, how many of y'all enjoy playing board games a little bit? Okay, four of us. Cool. How many of y'all love to play board games that you've never, ever, ever gotten even close to winning and you know you never will? Me and you are going to be best friends. We're going to find out something you can't do, brother, and then we're going to do it all the time. People don't like to do what they're not good at, and that's not just arrogant athletes. That's just kind of people in general. And if all I got is me and my and I and me and all that, where is my rescue from I and me and my and the condemnation and the cycle and the burden and the, and the failure? What is my rescue from that? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he takes us over here to Romans chapter 8. And come to find out, you know what the gospel has done? The gospel has not just freed us from condemnation, though that's 
emphatically first, well, that, that was accomplished in the justification that it brought us. It freed us from condemnation. That's a necessary fact. If the gospel of Jesus Christ hasn't freed you in your mind, you can be freed in God's record book. If you don't believe it, it'll be of no value to you whatsoever. I had a friend back in the late 70s. He wasn't my friend then, but back in the late 70s, him and his buddy, they had a bunch of ostriches. Late 70s, early 80s. It was people up here at raising ostriches. People in Texas got to raising ostriches, man. I mean, and they were worth bukus of money. Ostrich eggs were worth thousands of dollars when that was big as a wagon blanket back then. And they had, I don't remember, they had a whole horse trailer full of ostriches they had, the whole set of eggs that they had, and they carted them up somewhere and they sold them. And these uh, two old rough carpenters, and they're coming back home from that. And he said, we had money. They sold them for cash money. I think they had two hundred fifty dollars or $350,000. And they had it shoved in their boots and in their pockets and in their, man, they had it. And they're praying to God the truck doesn't break down, you know. They're just, you know, they, they ain't never seen that kind of money and they're alive. And they're, he said, and we hadn't eaten breakfast. And this was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He said, I mean, we'd eat a dead, dead skunk off the side of the road if there'd been one. He said, in every little old town they were driving, there's just little old towns everywhere on the highway. They were on that 200, 300 miles ago. In every little old town, there'd be a Dairy Queen or a hamburger stand. Or a, He said, man, we were just about to die, but we wasn't going to stop for nothing. No way was we going to stop and get any money out. He said, I thought we was going to starve to death. They had all the money in the world. They had all the blessing in the world. They just wouldn't use it. What if you starved plumb to death and there was places to eat all over and you had $100 sewed into the lining of your pants or your jacket or your hat or whatever and you didn't know it? Would it do you any good? That's why I preach this nonstop. I want people to know evidently the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul teamed up, and they wanted the church to know, first and foremost, don't you ever forget what you've got in Christ Jesus. Because they're going to need to pull it out on a regular basis. Because I've read chapter 12 through chapter 14, and the church in Rome's got all kinds of problems. And you know what the answer to every single one of the problems they have? They got people with spiritual gifts that are not using them. They got people in the church judging each other, griping at each other, condemning each other. They 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 got I mean some of these folks, man, they came from a hard side of town and they were pagans. And they don't want anything to do, you know. With meat that's been sacrificed to idols. You can't go to a decent butcher shop and buy a steak. 
how do you know some guy didn't take a turtle rattle full of bones with some smoke coming out of it and him haw around about it before they hung up the beef you bought? Where'd you get that meat? Well, we got it over on 13th Street. I ain't eating that. That's got the devil in it. And Paul said there's some weak brothers that just eat vegetables all the time. I don't know what all that means, but uh, they got all kinds of troubles. They got people that think they don't have to submit to the authorities of the land. They got all kinds of troubles. You know what the answer for every single solitary bit of it is? Because all those personal troubles that amount to family, congregational, and even when there's several congregations. But all those personal troubles that wind up manifesting themselves in church troubles, all their troubles, you know what it stems from? Sin and selfishness. You know what the solid bedrock cure for that is? Do you know the only message God's ever spoken or given that would deliver them into a life that that let them honor one another above each other? That that would bring them to love each other in a way that was a fulfillment of everything God had ever said that was good? It's the gospel. And every single thing God's given them in it. It just got to keep remembering it. They've got to hang on to it. I'm convinced that's why he goes to such great lengths. Because he ain't been there yet. But on the way to Spain, he's going. He said, man, I can't wait to get there. Because I'm going to explain to you some more how practical it's going to get. And it's going to help us. And it's going to save us. And more than that, it's going to bear God's fruit in our lives. I'm not having verse-swapping arguments with people about silly little things. I'm talking about salvation itself. I'm talking about God's purpose in our lives. I'm talking about us laying our head on the pillow at night when there's so much to do and we can't do a single solitary bit of it and so much to to try to stop and we can't help any of it. And we're able to say, thank you, God, that everything's all right. But you and I, thank you, Father, that I belong to you. Thank you, Father, for what you've given me. So, hope that simplifies things a little bit. I know there's all kinds of things in life that we don't have yet that we won't. I know we've got all kinds of questions we won't answer. Do you really believe? Do you really believe that peace of mind, that peace with God, comes from having all your answers, all your questions answered satisfactorily? It doesn't. You think peace, peace with God comes as a result of you having no longer any struggle with sin in this life? I mean, just think about it. 
if you just got your sin under control, wouldn't you have peace? You wouldn't, because you can't and you ain't. Who is the, who he, who is it that he himself is our peace? Ephesians 2.14. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. We don't know anybody else like you. We love you, Father, for what you've offered us in your Son. It's, it's, absolutely over our heads and unbelievable and we believe with all of our hearts it's absolutely true and however long it takes father we don't care we're just going to keep chewing on it and if we get we get a piece of it broke off we're going to swallow it and benefit from it help us to keep chewing on the gospel help us to keep wrestling with it help us to keep understanding it because in that gospel father in that gospel is your purpose, is your salvation, is our victory. And in that gospel, Father, we find securely our standing with you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a peaceful place when we stand in him. It is an inspiring and a motivating and an empowering place when in our minds, Father, we stand with you. Help us to believe the goodness that you've already accomplished for us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for hearing our prayer, Father. You said you did. We tried, Father, to ask you for things that you want. And so we know, Father, you've answered it according to your will already. The Spirit himself has interceded for us, us that are with our groanings. Thank you, Father, for your spirit, for the gospel, for the truth of your word. Glorify yourself, Father, in all these things. It's through Christ Jesus who died for us. We pray these things now. Amen. Peace. Love you guys.